Um, well, when I was building it for myself, um, I was still learning to code, you know, honestly. Okay. So when I was, when I was building it for my own company and basically scratching my own it, it was very, um, it was very basic and very, um, sort of unique to my company. And there's a lot of things in it that really didn't apply to broadly. And, um, okay. so a, the code was pretty bad. Um, okay. and, and partly because I was learning and then I was just adding on top of it. So it was just kind of like a bit messy. Um, okay. And, um, and I wanted to improve it. I wanted to improve the performance. And it was just like, and I had learned so much, you know, it basically I had been coding all day, every day. Like I, I, you know, I really never spent a whole day running my business because the software kind of did the heavy lifting for me. So, you know, even the, even the prototypical cost certified was basically managing my company. Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. Hey, leaders. Super, super excited to bring you uh, one of our West Coast uh, alumni. His name's Mike Bignold, and he is running a business called Cost Certified, a uh, really, really fast-growing uh, company, uh, tech company in the software as a service model. Uh, he's recruited a whole group of, of West Coast uh, people into his business. It's really an amazing story of, of how he left Student Works, started a you know home and business services business, and developed software as a way to run that business, what he spent most of his time running and building software to actually have that business run better, which he eventually sold. And then he spent an, a couple of years building out that business that he felt could become something that was really, really valuable and really transform the contracting industry. It's a big, big goal. Right now it's valued at over $70 million. Uh, or raised a whole bunch of money at over $70 million and scaling, looking to scale really, really fast. So an amazing story. And uh, I know you're going to love it. So uh, tune in. And, uh, and, and, and if you, you know, why we're up to this is just sharing stories about people who come and do our program and the reasons for doing our program. So if you know amazing leaders, we would love for you to direct them our way. Please share this podcast. Um, send them to studentworks.com and have yourself a super fantastic day. Thanks so much. Well, Mike, thank you very much for joining us on the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. So so um, you are one of our amazing leaders from Student Works West who had an incredible uh, career out in uh, the West Coast working with the amazing leaders out there. And, and uh, we share this trademark right across the country and share so many of the similar values, et cetera. Well, why don't you, why don't you tell us about before you joined and who was Mike? What was Mike up to? Yeah. Well, that Mike is a bit of a stranger to myself now um it's like it's like thinking about like a stranger when i think about who i was then um i was you know i really wasn't sure about who i was or or you know uh, i kind of knew where i wanted to get to but i had no idea how to get there and i didn't know where to start so um you know i think that's pretty normal like you're a teenager yeah. or you know you're starting off in university and you know 
um, you know, for me, I, I, got, I probably went into the wrong program at university, but uh, it ended up working, working out. And uh, yeah, just, I, I'm not going to say like I was lost, but, you know, I think it's just common that you just not exactly sure what the right steps are. And so you're just throwing a lot of things at the wall, trying to figure out, you know, what you should be doing. That's kind of where I was. Okay, great. So, so why don't actually we talk about that, you know? Uh, so, so originally you took what, and then you went into what, or did you stay in that all the way? Yeah, I was in, I took a business program, um, mm-hmm. a, a bachelor of management at UBC. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I honestly, like, Funny enough, you know, I learned a lot more from doing student works than I ever did, you know, in my business program. So if I were to do it again, I would do something more technical um, and then and then do something like student works to really, you know, hammer out the business side of things. So, But I did stay in business and I, I ended up getting that degree. Yeah. And one of the things actually, by the way, I like, well, wish I'd done something technical. I did a history degree. So because um, I was thinking all. And so, so again, it's, it's, you know, you, you don't know when you're 18, 19 and making these decisions and, and, uh, um, but, uh, you know, one of the advantages of a business degree is, you know, a lot of things now that you kind of take for granted that, you know, and so some of those things you learn and hear, but then some of them are your, uh, you just learn from reading these business books that other people don't. And if you took tech courses, you might not have got. So it's kind of interesting, you know, it's all knowledge is good. Right. Like yeah. that's, especially if you just kind of dig in and okay, I'm gonna try to get the most out of it. Right. Yeah. So I think you're right. Yeah. So so what was the big takeaways for you of, of doing student works during your university years and, and what did you learn? What are you still using, et cetera? Uh yeah, well, I mean, the big thing about um student works is it really um it really was applied. I mean, you, you it's not just reading out of a textbook, it's actually like you know, hitting the pavement, knocking on doors. Um it's putting yourself out of your comfort zone. I think a lot of the things I got out of it were um, maybe not specific or not technical. It was more like soft skills, um, you know, the grit, what actually is required to like deliver on, you know, being able to pay your salaries at the end of the, at the, end of the yeah. month. And, you know, just um, sometimes having to pull all nighters, um, sometimes having to um, do things actually often having to do things that are way outside your comfort zone. Yeah. Um, like um, cold calling, knocking on doors was just something that, you know, I couldn't imagine myself doing before. Um, yeah. But I was really competitive. And so I wanted to be number one on that leaderboard. So, you know, you better believe I was knocking on those doors. And, um, <laughs> so, you know, it's amazing what, you know, what it's amazing if you let yourself um, kind of, uh, you kind of, stop thinking about who you think you are and start opening your mind to what you can be. It's amazing what you um, are actually capable of. I just love that. I just love that. Who you can be, you know, and, uh, and just, we made choices like our five-year-olds or 10-year-olds made choices on who we're going to be all our lives, unless we just release it. And just, and the other thing is my sense of it is you're not spending a whole bunch of your day in all sorts of extroverted activities like canvassing, right? And you can, right? You've got this other gear that most people who did what you did don't have, right? Right. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. And I think people get really mired in 
this thinking of this is who I am. This is yeah. me. And people really, I think people crave having like an identity, but then they get a little bit stuck in it and um, it can really limit you. And I think it's really hard to be successful if you're sort of, um, you know, very orthodox visions of what you are as a person. If you can just kind of release that and try things and experiment with who you are, I think you'll go a lot further. Yeah. And just also even just accept, yeah, here's who I like to be day to day. And hey, I can put this other other arm on or this other adjacent and do this other thing. And maybe it's not hundred percent what I want, but yes, I can go do it, you know, like canvassing or or something else. And it's very rare where successful people don't have to do that, especially as they get going. And then eventually, again, you kind of get your ideal world. Like at this point in my life, I'm it's you know, things are pretty great for me. And and so I largely just do these three or four things that I'm really great at and just keep doing them. And everything else, people pick up other things for me, which is wonderful. I've got this amazing team. So, but that's not where it started. And 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 I tried to do all these things, you know, barely competent at some of them. <laughs> but but if you resist, then you can't do anything. You're not going to grow your business or whatever it takes. Yeah, actually, I saw a really interesting tweet the other day. You know, 140 characters of not of wisdom. Um, basically, it said something like, you know, people think they can't change themselves, but they can, and people think they can change others, but they can't. Yeah. So you know, stop trying to change and control everyone else. It's just you know, work on yourself and, and work. be who you want to be. Absolutely. So, 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 okay. So, so I, I know we had a successful season. We don't need to talk about, you know, sorry, successful seasons with student works. We don't need to talk about that. We're not going to learn or, or dig it about that. So you, you move from student works. What did you move into and why? And, and talk about that process. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I, um, you know, at, after, High school, a lot of my friends would do traveling, they'd travel around the world. And I was sort of, um, you know, I'd have gone straight into the and I kind of lamented that I hadn't traveled myself. And so after university, I wanted to take a gap year and sort of travel around. And uh, so I ended up um, going to South Africa and I didn't do a lot of traveling. I kind of got stuck in, in one in Cape Town um, and just lived there for a year and um, loved it. Um, but then came back desperately broke and, um, you know, I, I, and this was, you know, I, I just, I literally had finished my last painting job on like two days before I left my flight to, um, to Cape Town. So I was like, right. you know, right out of student works, right into traveling. Um, and so, and that was the last thing I'd done. And so I came back broke and I thought, well, you know, I better, um, start a painting company. Right. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, so, you know, I started that and uh, sort of turned it into um, a few different things. You know, we did, you know, uh, it just increased the scope of things that we did. So we did right. stucco, painting, um, roofing. Um, Property services, basically. Yeah, like exterior contracting and, and office leasehold improvements as well. So we started doing a, a sort of broadening out a bit. And, um, and yeah, and so that's what I did when I came back. And, and then that sort of, turned into, I got into software somehow after right. that. So. <laughs> so, so my understanding is, is you started to develop software for this business that yeah. would help you run this business well. Is that, is that, is that it? Exactly. So actually when I came back from traveling, um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do um, in terms of, you know, how do I, how do I make money? 
but I, I ended up getting a job. So I got, I had a day job. And then I also, um, just sent out a bunch of flyers. I just sent out like 10,000 flyers right. um, for my painting company, which wasn't actually incorporated yet, um, just to see if I could get some business. Right. So I ended up booking this like $300,000 job, this project. So I ended up saying like, well, I better, you know, I better keep that. Um, but then I also got, I, I got a job too, like a day job. So I, I kept my day job and I ended up hiring a project manager to manage that project because I didn't want to lose the project and stuff. So um, so I hired a guy who was really, really great um, on site for all kinds of different construction. And it wasn't just painting. It was actually like there was siding, a siding element to it and just a bunch of stuff. So um, so anyway, I hired him to manage that and um, while I had my day job. But then that job ended up, that project ended up getting delayed. So and I didn't want to lose the project manager, but basically I was using my salary to pay his salary. Um, so it wasn't, you know. I was still, I was more broke than ever, basically. So that wasn't really helping the original aim of either of these, you know, um, things. So uh, I had him out doing quotes and, and he is great at swinging a hammer on site. Not so good at, you know, estimating or sending quotes or anything yes. like that. So I needed to find a way to, to make it so that it was sort of drop dead simple for him. Um, so over a weekend, I just coded this super simple prototype of, you know, estimating where you just put an item price, item price, item price, send, and it would generate a PDF and it would go to their email and then it was gone. And you can yeah. never review it. You can never edit it. It was like, if you needed to make a change, you'd have to start from scratch. Like it was very, very basic. Um, and it, but it worked, it started to work. So we started to book other jobs <clears throat> and, um, I just thought, well, why don't we start tracking our customers? Why don't we start tracking our quotes? Why don't we just save them so we can edit them? You know, and then um, eventually it morphed into interactive quotes that allow the consumer to make um, changes at the point of sale. So you can upgrade and downgrade, you know, upgrade from carpet to hardwood and see the price change in real time or upgrade from laminate counters and see your to quartz countertops and see the price change. So it it kind of morphed. and broaden the scope. And, um, you know, before I knew it, I had um, six project managers and I still had my day job. So I <laughs> quit my day job and, uh, you know, did that full time and then sold that in, t- in 2017, 2018. So and let, let's, 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 let's not go that fast. So that's fantastic. So basically, you were able to train people to provide quotations very simply that you could manage your margins. Customers could understand what they were getting. It was just black and white. And so what about the sales process? Obviously you, you know, you've been trained in a student work sales process. So, so did you kind of exit that part of it and just like, how did you see that? Yeah. I mean, the, it's really like, you know, we actually, in, in student works, we, you know, they're very, um, they were very firm about using the paper, you know, you got to do the paper because you got to understand, you know, your cost structures. Yes. You know, I don't know if that's the same in the East, but. Um, well, no, it, it, it is. And by the way, I, I feel like for our rookie operators, it's so important so that they can understand how to hold their profitability. And at a second, third, fourth, fifth year level, you, totally, you could see it. You could see us building something like this and to sort of say, great, I got it because I know it. So, so, but what about the sales, but go on, finish your point. And also I like really the selling. Yeah. 
Yeah, sure. Like, um, well, the, the first part of sales, I, I mean, the, you know, our company is called Cost Certified. And the reason why it's called Cost Certified is because it allows you to understand and have a really firm grasp on your costs, which we think is the very first part of the sales process. You can't sell something unless you understand your costs. And I think the first aha moment for us was that most contractors don't actually understand their costs. Right. Um, and, and how can they sell that effectively? You know, if they're sending out, like if you're a customer and you're getting three quotes for a house renovation, they mean almost nothing. The quotes mean almost nothing because the contractors that produce those uh, either don't understand their costs or are driven by a market that doesn't typically understand their costs. So they're forced to provide a lower, you know, foot in the door estimate in order if they ever want to get a job. So, right. If that makes sense. So, so that is the first problem. Yeah. And so that's, that's the first problem that we solved in cost certified. And that definitely, you know, came from, um, you know, just feeling like after student works that understanding your costs is normal. You should understand your costs. Of course you should. And we understood them so well, you know, to the dollar. Um, and why don't contractors, most contractors understand the cost to the dollar. That doesn't make sense to me. So I think, you know, being kind of rock, you know, raised in the world of student works and then going out into like the real world and finding that, you know, my understanding is totally different from the general understanding is like, wow, there's a divide here and, and there's, you know, definitely some improvements that can be made. So when you were running a business with five contractors out there and working full time how big was that business and did what was their not their costing because i know you nailed that but what was their sales process was it mostly professional was it mostly residential how could they sell jobs walk me through that yeah so it was it was five project managers um and then we had um, about 35 other employees some of some of them were you know um seasonal right um, but you know, generally had about thirty-five other employees, and uh, yeah, it was so. It was a it was primarily residential um, for most of the part. Um, we also had a um, leasehold improvement component, which was basically office leasehold improvements. Right. So we had that, and then we had the residential side. So on the leasehold side um, and the commercial side, it was basically a, sort of a built-in relationship with property management companies. Um, and then on the residential side, it was, you know, flyers and and Google AdWords and other kinds yeah. of marketing to get leads. And then, um, you know, basically just like StudentWorks does, it's, you know, you, you do an intro call, get them set up for an estimate. One of the project managers go out and the project managers kind of have their own like stable of business. And then they would, that they would, it was their baby. And um, then they had their own workers that would uh, would produce it. So yeah, very similar to someone. Okay. And so the one yeah. thing though you had that was, was this amazing uh, software program that basically assured that the costs were certified, assured that people, you know, and again, the, the value of that is, is, you know, it's, it's obviously had a piecework system so that the, the team knew what they were being paid. The margins were all set for you, for the property managers, you know, et cetera. So you can see that being really, really powerful. When, when you sold the business, is the business still go, doing well? How, how did that transition away yeah. from you? Yeah. So we built up a really good um, name. We won Consumer Choice Award three years in a row. Um, you know, pretty quickly. We only, I only had the business for like, I think four, four years total. 
Um, so three of the four we won the Consumer Choice Award. We were, you know, number one in Google search for a lot of our search terms in Calgary. So, you know, we it built into like a pretty decent business pretty quickly. Um, and we had just such a good funnel of um, leads and referrals and stuff. And so I was able to sell the assets. And yeah, I don't, it's not, I mean, I, I think it's doing okay now. Um, right. Not as good as when I was running it, of course. Um, but then I, I basically used the proceeds from that to, to live off um, for a few years when, when I rebuilt and spun off and rebuilt the, co- the software that I was using. So, right. uh, yeah. So if, if it, you know, one of the things that we're going to encourage our, our listeners and leaders is to check out costcertified.com. Okay, so you can see the website. You can see how building this frictional, frictionless e-commerce site. Um, so, so talk to me. Why did you need to start again? What was that about? Um, well, um, like you mean selling the company, and then- no, no. What I mean is, why did you need to start start the whole code again? Just oh, you know, okay, I'm see. not somebody who really understands code, you know, etc. So, okay, gotcha. Yeah, no, great question. Um, well, when I was building it for myself, um, I was still learning to code, you know, honestly. Okay. So when I was, when I was building it for my own company and basically scratching my own intro, it, it was very, um, it was very basic and very, um, sort of unique to my company. And there's a lot of things in it that really didn't apply to broadly. And, um, okay. so a, the code was pretty bad. Um, okay. and, and partly because I was learning and then I was just adding on top of it. So it was just kind of like a bit messy. Um, okay. and, um, and I wanted to improve it. I wanted to improve the performance. And it was just like, and I had learned so much, you know, it basically I had been coding all day, every day. Like I, I, you know, I really never spent a whole day running my business because the software kind of did the heavy lifting for me. So, you know, even the, even the, prototypical cost certified was basically managing my company for me. So the better it did doing that, um, the more time I had coding and the more time I had coding, the better job it did managing my company. So it was kind of like this, you know, this um, self-fulfilling prophecy, I guess, that it it ended up, you know, I ended up learning a lot and ended up doing pretty good, but it did need to be rewritten um, and kind of cleaned up and sort of the, sort of the appeal could be broader and it could, you know, perform better. So yeah, I did that after. And I think that's so so awesome. And I want our, our leaders to sort of pause on what Mike just said. Okay. So Chris runs his company by basically talking to people and coaching and leading and training people 24 <laughs> seven. And then, like, that's basically what I do in my business. Mike, and then just to share, one of our former alumni, his name's Roger Singh, runs one of the largest window cleaning companies in the Toronto area, does it the exact same way that you do it. He has this amazing software that he's built, and he's built it and built it, and he says he codes all the time. And I'm just like, wow, is that ever fascinating, right? Like how there are so many ways to be powerful in leadership, right? So so, so you're basically finding that the better you set up your software system, the better your business runs. Right. That's yeah. so awesome. I hired robots to do all the talking for me, basically. <laughs> yeah. No, and I guess I guess when I when I jump on your uh, your website, it goes, hey, how can I help you today? So there's an example, right? <laughs> yeah. So. And you know, ironically, now that you know I'm running a software company, we've got 
you know, as of next week, we'll have 65 people and I'm doing a whole lot of talking in meetings now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> ironic, right? <laughs> <laughs> now it's now it's shifting. And I know we talked a, a couple a couple of months back or weeks back or whatever, you in Orlando running a huge, huge event, right? Manning a booth, talking to all sorts of people about coming and uh, joining your company, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so why don't you why don't you walk us through? So you sell your company. You invest a couple years in rebuilding this software, and 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 then there's the money part of it. You look to raise money. So why don't you walk us through that for our leaders? Going, you know, how do, how does someone start something like this? You know, etc. And talk more about. Hold on, you have sixty employees now. How are you paying for that, Mike? So why don't you walk us through that? Yeah, well, if you ever want to see money lit on fire, um, <laughs> join a tech company. I mean, that's. I mean, just. You know, it's fun. Um, but how did it start? I mean, I, I kind of put myself back in time and I think like, how what did, how did I get here? Um, and honestly, I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew that, you know, I didn't want to run a contracting company forever. I wanted to really do something that was my own. Um, okay. And so that was a big motivator for me. I wanted to just kind of prove that I could do something else. Um, but I, I had no idea what I was doing. I was really like, you know, blindfold jumping off a cliff really at that time, um, wow. when I was deciding to, to shut my company down or sell it. And, you know, luckily, luckily I sold it, but I was willing to shut it down if I couldn't sell it. So, you know, I really wasn't sure what I was going to do. And then, um, I just, what I, what I ended up doing is I ended up sending, you know, um, you know, and your, your emotions go up and down when you're running business. So sometimes you're like on a high and sometimes you're in the valley of sorrow. Yeah. Um, you know, and one day in the valley of sorrow, I'm like, I need someone to use this, you know, other than myself. So I sent these, you know, I sent three emails to three um, renovations companies that I kind of, I looked up online or I, I there was one that I drove by all the time. And I started right. sign. So I sent this like EOR message like, hey, you probably want nothing to do with this. You probably get all these emails a day, but I'm working on this and, you know, let me know if you're interested. You probably aren't. Okay. Bye. Um, just like this two line email message um, to three different renovations companies. And um, I got three yeses, you know, wow. three, three people saying, yeah, come show me what you're up to. I'm like, Oh, really? Okay. Check out the EOR model. Um, yeah, exactly. That's the model of marketing. Okay. I think the lesson from that is even if you're in the Valley of Sorrow, you know, crawl, you know, scrap, you know, drag take yourself action. through take, it. Take an action. Yes. Um, even if it's small and even if it's miserable, uh, just do it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it worked. And um, so then I kind of did this pitch to three different companies and one, they were assholes, you know, one, one kind of was wishy-washy and the other one was kind of into it and they maybe wanted to invest too. And um, I really liked them. And so I ended up going with them. So they, they invested a, you know, small, small bit of money, hundred, hundred K. Um, and uh, I worked out of their office. So I had somewhere to go. That wasn't like my dark, you know, dining yeah. room. Yeah. And um, so I, you know, and I went there and I was kind of embedded with them and I got a few other um, beta users kind of connected through them and basically spent like two and a half years just rebuilding it with um, really hardcore users that used it every day, all day for every single thing that they did. And 
would talk to me every single day about their, you know, what they, what their wish list was, you know, and they, they hammered me. I mean, they're like, if you don't fix this now, we're leaving. And I was like, okay, you know, and I did lots of, lots of like years of, of all nighters and um, a lot of pain, but um, yeah, I made it through and it was better for it. And now um, it's, it works. It's a very stable product that, you know, hundreds of, hundreds of companies use every single day. So. Wow. That's fantastic. And did they ever get a deal? Um, right. And, and they also like, that's called a win-win, right? Cause, cause I know what it costs to build what you built um, for, you know, well, and, and, and then I guess you got a deal because you got to build this for somebody who actively used it. So, cause you just, it, it, you know, you create things in your head it doesn't work, right? You actually have to put it in the universe and test it, right? And test it and test it. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I I look back on those years and I'm, I was just like, when will this end? You know, like, when, when will I have my breakthrough? It just went on and on and on. It just felt like an eternity. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was kind of like getting, adding up all the numbers. Like, if I had paid someone to do this, this would, you know, this would have cost like $5 million. And, you know, and when are they ever going to get that back? And, you know, and then I did the opportunity cost, like what I was making before. And like, I didn't make a salary for three years. I'm like, what, what, what would I have right now? Like, I wouldn't be so desperately poor, um, you know, and, and those numbers get a little depressing. And so when you get out of, when, when you hit the light at the end of the tunnel, you don't actually ever see the light at the end of the tunnel, by the way. You don't see it. You just suddenly it hits you one day. And um, there you are. But then it kind of made, worked out in the end. Yeah. No. And, 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 well, I guess I don't know where you are in your tunnel. So why don't we talk about that? So, so you've got a bunch of users, you got funded. So why don't you walk our, our leaders through that? So you, you, you have this, you have this case use. I, does that customer still work with you? Are they still one of your users? Okay. So, yeah. so they now, they now pay the going rate or do they still get a grandfathered rate? Yeah, actually, they paid a they paid a normal rate from the beginning. Um, Did they? Okay. Yeah, they they actually get a, they're getting a deal right now. They get a really good deal. They, you know, we gave we we gave them eighteen months free actually. So they they they're actually getting a really solid deal right now. Well, that's that's great, great for them. And and so 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 at what what point uh, what point did you start looking for funding, or what point you know you know how how did that scale up after those two or three years? Yeah. So. We went to uh, like an incubator program here in Calgary called Platform Calgary. Um, and um, they were pretty new then. Um, and I think they were finding their, their, their footing as well as we were, obviously. Right. Um, and that was September 2019. And, um, you know, we had really big ambitions. Like, you know, I wanted it to be this big company, like massive. Like, it, you know, really like our vision is to be like the Amazon for residential construction. Um, which is a really big vision. And I think Canadians in general, um, and especially in Calgary, which is sort of like this very early tech scene, you know, that kind of big thinking is like scary, I think. Right. Um, and Canadians are like maybe overly conservative in a lot of ways. And so, you know, we told them our, we would actually temper our vision, like when we were talking to people, like, you know, we would almost like downplay it because. Yeah even that was getting like reactions like, oh, like, what do you mean? Yes. You're making me feel uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And at some point I said, like, we want to raise $2 million at a $15 million valuation. 
and we got laughed at. Like you have no idea. Like they're like, oh, okay, it's done. Come down to you know, come down to earth here. And there was an intervention, and they all got together and they told us how crazy we were. Um, and they and you know, someone said, oh, if you want that kind of money, you're gonna have to go to Silicon Valley. So. Um, and another person said, you have 0% chance. We have a neon sign in the office now. It's a 0%, 0% chance. chance. <laughs> but anyway, we, we, we heard that loud and clear. We're like, okay, we're going to Silicon Valley. So <laughs> we literally booked the next ticket out. Um, and there was this construction tech conference happening in, um, in, uh, San Mateo. And so we went to Silicon Valley. We're there like the next week. And, um, you know, we, it was it was pretty sad. Um, uh, my co-founder and I were basically broke, um, and um, we, you know, we rented the cheapest hotel we could find hotel. Yeah. in San Francisco. It was a motel, and it was like six hundred dollars a night, and it was the last thing we could find. And and it had like a neon light that was like blinking, like saw, and it was the wallpaper was falling off the wall. There were stains on the curtains. It was really bad, and that was like the cheapest hotel room if you could buy. find yeah and um anyway we stayed there um, i remember sitting in our rental car going what do we do now and we were calling we're like let's call you know uh sand hill road which is where all the vcs are you know let's start calling hi we have this idea and they're like i'm gonna stop you there do not come to our office <laughs> this is oh, pretty COVID. We, we will call the police we'll yeah. call you <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so they don't want us. And then we went to the conference and there's VCs at the conference and no, no deal happening there. No one was interested. You're like, oh well, maybe they were right, you know, maybe the intervention was right. Um, but we met this this one guy and he was like, he was basically homeless and he was a founder too, and he was he was starting the, this fintech company. Um, you know, and he and we felt bad for him, like he was more broke than we were. So, you know, we, we kind of made friends because we were like the pity party. Right. Um, you know, another um, value of sorrow moment. And so, you know, we're like, okay, we'll, we'll buy you dinner because we felt bad. So we, we went out and bought him dinner, um, you know, and, you know, just became remote friends. Sorry, can you hear the bell? <laughs> That's okay. Um, so, yeah, um, we took him out for dinner, this homeless guy, so we thought. And, um, and um, his poor, sad company, just like our poor, sad company, and um, and then we went home and you know kept working and you know just like selling things to stay afloat and yeah you know spouses angry spouses and you know what are you doing with your lives and parents asking us when are you going to get a real job and things like that um, anyway so uh, fast forward about a year and um, I'm like you know I really got to catch up with that that guy from San Francisco again see how he's doing so I, you know and he's he's from Texas so you know I give him a call like hey how are you doing he's like. And he's just, he looks so relaxed and he's sitting in this office and he's got this great view. I'm like, where are you? You know, what, what has happened to you? Like, I thought you were homeless. And he's like, oh, you know, we just got out of Y Combinator. We just raised our Series A and we raised our seed round like three months ago. And I'm like, what the heck? He's like, yeah, we got 10 million in the bank. I'm like, all right. Wow. Um, and, you know, and he's asking us where we're at. And we're like, well, we're onboarding customers, you know, we're growing like at this pace. And he's like, Holy shit, guys, you guys are like a, you know, you're like top performing company. You're not even like in the zone. You haven't raised any money. We're like, 
that's what we've been telling people, like, you know? Um, so he, he got us a referral into Y Combinator. So we got into YC. Um, and then from there it was really, um, and, and we, and we, he also referred us to our first investor. So we actually got an investment before we got into YC and then we got into YC and then it was like basically game over. And, you know, from there you can kind of, you know, you get this check mark of approval and then all the investors are just swarming you. And so it get really easy. Fantastic. So, so how much money have you raised? Um, so we raised uh, just over eleven million Canadian. At what evaluation? Uh, just over seventy. So look at that. Look at that. Hopefully, everyone was paying attention. I hope so. <laughs> we got laughed at for two million at a fifteen million. <laughs> I remember. I remember. <laughs> I was paying attention. So yeah. isn't that awesome? That is so fantastic. And yeah. And but it does speak to. It was impossible for the group of people that you were speaking to in Calgary. It was impossible with the group of investors that exist in Calgary at that time, or largely. I'm sure some of them might also invest in other locations because there's lots of super wealthy people in Calgary. So, and uh, um, high net worth and highly intelligent, but they're harder to find. That's why. That's why again these these. Uh, you know, next 36 and these different types of organizations, just, you know, first of all, identify these up and coming companies that actually do have a shot, that actually are on track, actually could make an enormous difference to the marketplace. And, uh, and then you get really well coached too, right? And, uh, you know, and, and, and it's everybody's trying to trying to win. Now, if we don't hit the numbers, then all of a sudden things can, things, things will turn sideways on us, right? That's right. Yeah. And it's, uh, it actually doesn't get easier um, no. because you have to keep growing. So you grow or die basically. Yes. So, yes. You know, and, and, and depending on your, you know, your revenue strata is, is sort of, it defines like what VCs, for example, would be expecting you to grow at. So, you know, at our, at our lower strata, we're still a startup, you know, really we're still an early stage company. So at our strata, you know, investors are expecting like, multi hundred percent growth every year for the next couple of years. So, you know, two to two to five hundred percent growth, you know, for the next couple of years. So that means, you know, every week you have to be, you know, you, you really aim for 10% growth a week, which is wow. you know, really adds up. So 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 who's helping you on the business development front? Oh well, um so one of the first companies, so that first company that we reached out to that signed up with cost certified um one of our early beta users. Um, and they invested. Lewis is our COO, so mm-hmm. he he does uh, basically is charge in, in charge of the operations. So we have a director of sales now. We have a director of marketing. We have a director of revenue operations. Awesome. So we have a lot of um, we have a lot of departments and a lot of department heads now. <laughs> a lot of specialists basically right. to help us scale. So everyone's really narrowly focused on. Uh, on one thing and, and, and moving the needle on there, one right. thing. Yeah. So one of the things as well that when people come on with that type of money, they're coming on with money and then expertise. Here's what we need to do. And, you know, let's find somebody who's done this before and can really execute in this area and then in this area and then this area, right? It's like learn from other people's experiences. This isn't the first time someone's, um, you know, you know, grown at this rate in software before, right? I think it's been happening for a number of decades. So let's learn from what they've done and let's go execute, right? 
Yeah, and don't try to reinvent the wheel. You know, when it comes to business processes, chances are, you know, someone's done it before. So yeah. um, find that blueprint and um, just like in, in, in student works, you know, yes. hey, follow the system. Um, yeah. So find the system, find the right mm -hmm. system for you and then follow it. That's really, you know, the gist of it. And having investors that are, you know, really um, knowledgeable in, in you know, your setting and your industry and having, um, you know, like something like Y Combinator for us was really helpful in understanding A, um, what's possible and, um, and what the expectations are. And just even knowing that, it's like, well, if that's the expectation, if that's what's possible, then we just have to find a way to get to that. Um, and when, and so that's why thinking big is really important because if you think big and you look at companies that have done big, you can see what roadmap they've followed and just do that. Absolutely. One of the biggest things that you'll see out there is, you know, thinking about how to be 10 times bigger. Right. And, and so, so, you know, our business actually is 10 times bigger than when I bought it, you know, so it's like, think about how it can be that. And then if you're at that scale, then it's like, wow what would I need to be and what, how would my company need to be? And, and it's, but when we think about 10% bigger, it's actually a lot of times it's just little things, but it's really thinking beyond that. And that's something again, that in tech investing, that's, that's, that's massive in startups. That's, that's massive. So, and then like you said as well, network, right. Meet other people, learn what they're doing. And, and, and obviously it was great that we went out for dinner with that chap, right. You know, it's not a, a, you know, an awesome, an awesome thing. Right. You know, again, you can, a lot of times like, you know, the, the, the uh, Valley of Sorrow could just have you, you know, drinking beer in your hotel room, sad, <laughs> or, or let's go do something. No, let's, let's go, you know, connect, talk, learn, grow, et cetera. Yeah, well, there was a bit of that too. But. I'm sure there was. I'm sure there was. <laughs> there was a that. Awesome, awesome. So, um, so, so, what do you think? You know, biggest mistakes. Looking back, biggest mistakes. And I know we're not done, right? We're just in the middle of the race, which is so awesome. Like, I really, I really appreciate you being here and, and sharing. Biggest mistakes. Well, um, there's things I wish I had done sooner. Um, mm -hmm. I think. Um, you know, time is that one resource you can't get back. It's the one resource that's kind of priceless. So I think it, looking back, um, you know, I would have launched sooner. I would have um, I would have found a co-founder um, that could have operated and been, um, you know, done the operations sooner. Like I would have found someone, that person sooner um, so that we could have turned it into a business sooner. Um, I think, um, you know, I did it really the way that they say never to do it. Like I really yes. built it and like my philosophy is I'll build it and they will come. And in my case, it worked out, but generally, um, that's a really painful way of doing it. And it often won't work out and you have to, um, you really have to make it work. So I think if I could do it again, I would find that right co-founder that could have done that sooner. And I, and I think it's really important to have a co-founder and to have the right one. And certainly that's something that I've read as well, especially in the tech space, almost, but, you know, if you look almost always, there's co-founders. One is in this space, one's in that space. And that the, the, the relationship and the success of that relationship really is, is the company, you know, is this going to work or is this not going to work? So, uh, you know, and it shows a lot of incredible perseverance and drive for you to sort of stick through that period of time, you know, and again, like you said, one of the biggest things is, as you mentioned, 
here's what you could have been earning doing something else. Here's what, what the cost of it, and it was significant, Mike, because what you know you can earn, right? So it's, it's and on the other hand, obviously you had it because you wanted to do something else. You were excited about doing something else and, you know, obviously happy to get over on the other side where it looks like this is going to win and work, et cetera. So, um, so, um, so what, what about, um, you know, when you think about, you know, back, you know, in university, what did you need to change about yourself to be the, you know, full-time value creator in the world at this point? Mm. Um, I would say like, I've, I've gone through like a few changes to myself over the years. There's certain things about myself I just didn't like. And, uh, and I was, you know, it takes a lot of effort, but I really wanted to, there's certain things that I really wanted to change about myself. Like, there's just so many things I think I was, I, I have a tendency to be very abrasive and short and um, just because I'm impatient um, and I want to get to the point and um, it comes in handy, Um, but you have to temper that with um, not treating people like robots and computers. So, you know, I think that is um, something that I needed to to work on. And so, you know, maybe I'm better at that now. (laughs) Okay. Make it, make it progress and paying attention to that. So, and, and so what about, you know, how do you keep learning? You know, what, 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 what about that? Just growing. Well, you know, I, I read a lot of books, um, a lot of cheesy books, mm-hmm. um, from a lot of people that I looked up to, um, kind of growing up as a like late teens and, um, and, uh, kind of early, yeah, early twenties kind of thing. I read a lot of books like, um, from people who had done things that I just admired, like business people. And so I read a lot of those books and, um, just started to get a feel for some of the patterns in their thinking. And, um, and it really just kind of adopted those myself in a lot of ways, because that's kind of where I wanted to go and what I wanted to be. And so a lot of those patterns I tried to just integrate into my life. And so, yeah, I think, and I never read anything fiction. Like I never read a book cover to cover in fiction. I would would bullshit my way through English class all all my life. I read, read the back and the, back last chapter in the first chapter i've literally re- never read anything fiction in my life but non-fiction um so just I, i'm just really curious about like the real world and and how real people do real things and so i those ones i just can't even put down so so for me i did a lot of like non-fiction reading um, for people that i admired fantastic and so when you're looking you know how are you judging this next year of cost certified what sort of numbers you're looking at to please your investors to hit the targets that you're looking at well um you know we need to grow so growth is pretty much we need to you know have a really good sales and marketing efficiency so sales and marketing efficiency is like you know you put a dollar in the machine and how many dollars you have coming out um and you know tech companies can range from you know put a dollar in you get 50 cents out um which works out if they, if, you know, they stay for a couple of years, then you've made, you know, if they stay for three years, you've made 50 cents, you know, right. <laughs> overall. And, and so in our case, we're trying to get, put a dollar in, you get a dollar out basically. So that's what we're working on for sales and marketing efficiency. Um, towards the end of the year, you know, we want to be at about uh, three and a half million dollars of revenue. So that's our target. And um, it's recurring revenue. It's highly valuable. We want to add, you know, we're adding a bunch of products. So, um, we're adding a, we've already added a um, contractor financing product. So contractors can get financing. Okay. We're on a consumer financing product, a payments product, and an insurance product. So lots of fintech offerings over the next year. 
yeah, we're working on 500% growth. So uh, last month we did 26% growth and we're pretty happy about that. And uh, it's just, we're going to carry it on. We're just scaling like crazy. So. Awesome. Yeah. And so every, so, so everyone understands is, is if I invest a dollar and I get a dollar out and I, I develop that, that, that really scales because then all of a sudden that, that customer, if somebody's going to move to cost certified, likely they're going to stay there a whole chunk of time. We don't know how long, right? Because we haven't been around that long, but the likelihood is you get that it's sticky and then you add other services and you make it easier to finance their business or have their customers finance their business. And you just add more and more things. It's like, we have our business for listeners from StudentWorks. Simon is so integral to our business, right? It's so, right. so sticky to us, so built for us. So, so you know, it's it's just everything for us. So it's that's what you want your customers to feel about cost certified, and that's why it's so valuable. And it it that software as a service model sells at such a huge multiple because it is so valuable. And some of the biggest companies in the world, most valuable companies in the world, sell on those models. Exactly. Yeah. It's a the recurring revenue changes everything. And then, you know, the difference between a, you know, a regular business and a startup is scale. So, you know, if you, you, you scale changes everything. So the scale makes people invest at a very high multiple in your business um, because they know, they're predicting where it's going to be. And you're, they're really, you know, your company's sort of not worth what they're investing at, you know, it's, it's going to be worth that in the future. And that's what they're sort of betting on. Yes, exactly. And then, and, and, and again, a whole bunch of the companies they bet on fail. And, and it's about those few that just crush it, that, that make an enormous return, you know, and then some get sold to other people, get okay returns. And they're, they're after the, the, the enormous returns. And, and here's hoping one of them is you. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so when you, any, anything else you'd like to share about the business or about um, uh, the, it, you know, any sort of more takeaways before that? I've got two two other questions for you before I let you go. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, we're we're also hiring, so I gotta, you know, shamelessly plug that. So maybe I'll throw that in right now. Um, yeah. You know, student works. Um, if you are, you know, transitioning out of student works and you got your degree and you're wondering what to do, um, maybe give us a call. Yeah, exactly. No, and 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 thanks for putting that in. And and uh, you know, one of the just just to share as well. Um, I really believe one of the best possible spots. I have a podcast about this, but one of the best possible spots for student works people, or a lot of student works people, is they develop incredible sales skills. So one of the places is go and become a rock star in sales and grow up that chain and. There's it, software as a service model is the best place to get really great at. And it doesn't mean that somebody's selling this model forever because eventually a company starts to run up, out, you know, and then the, the growth slows down and then they start to stop paying quite as much. And so a lot of times, you know, uh, you know, we've had past past operators on this alumni, one of our uh, fintech guys, who's, he's been in like three or four fintech places. And he, that, Steve Fruck, you can check out his podcast. He'll jump to another place, jump to another place. And, and just because the growth slows down. So hey, Steve's going to go someplace else. They'll pay me a whole lot of money here. But to develop those skills is a really, really great thing. So, uh, so uh, and go, go, go support an alumnus like Mike. So what about, what about key habits? What key habits would, would someone want to, want to take from you, learn from you? 
Mm. Key habits. Well, um, definitely, you know, taking action sometimes when it's the hardest to is, is I think, one of the biggest things. Um, you know, I think it was Elon Musk that said, like, starting a business is like chewing glass and staring into the abyss. And um, it is kind of like that because you don't really know, you know, like I said, you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel until it hits you. You know, you, you, it's it's just a lot of ambiguity. So in those situations, I would just say keep going. You know, I think that's the most important thing. And, uh, you know, some people need to know when to stop too. But yeah. if you're onto something that you are really sure about, and to be sure about it, by the way, it's sort of an unsexy thing. Um, you really, you got to crunch the numbers. So get really comfortable with spreadsheets and numbers. That's the only reason I'm still in this business is because I did that early on and I understood the power of where we were going. And I, so that gave me the confidence to persevere through those um, tough times, those valleys of sorrow. And because I knew when I did the numbers that, you know, we only needed this many customers to be of this value of a business. Yeah. Um, and so if you get really comfortable with your numbers, it's like a contractor. They have to understand their costs in order to sell uh, contracting. And so it's the same thing for you. If you're starting a business, you better know your costs. You better know your revenue. You better understand the business. And if you do, don't lie to yourself. You know, do the, do the spreadsheet honestly. And if it's not working out, you know, you know to stop. And if it is working out, push through. Find a way. Awesome. Awesome. Final question. When you think of a leader of tomorrow, Mike, what comes to mind? Well, I think um, leadership comes with three ingredients. I think one is listening, um, two is selling, and, and three is um, drawing the line, or, you know, authority. So I think it's really important to listen um, and to hear people. Um, but it's also important to draw the line and not listen to everything, you know, um, and tell people when you're going to stop listening. <laughs> um, and it's really important to sell. Like I think the best leaders um, do their research, understand their vision and know where they should go. And it's your job to sell that to others. So your job is to, you know, tell people why we're going there and why it's important and why it matters. Um, the worst kind of leaders, I think, kind of take the temperature of the room and go where the room wants them to go. I think the best kind of leaders have a vision and they, and they bring people into their vision and they sell the vision and they push forward and then they adapt the vision when necessary by listening to the right things and, and not listening to the wrong things and kind of making good judgment calls. So three ingredients, listening, um, selling, and authority. I love that. Um, yeah, Jim, Jim Collins, Built to Last, says, uh, good to great. Great leaders get their teams to want to go where the business needs to go, you know, or the leader wants them to go, you know? And so again, enrolling them, engaging them, this is where it is. And like you said, fact-based, so it's not like, oh, let's drive off the mountain or you know, into the gully, right? Like this is where we're going and this is gonna win and here's why, and look, let's look at the data, et cetera. So, so Mike, really, really awesome. I really appreciate you taking time out your busy life. Let's stay connected. I'm, I'm really, really excited about uh, this just becoming super, super powerful. Let me know if I can ever support and um, we'll, we'll talk soon. Yeah, great. Funnel, funnel, those, uh, funnel those student works <laughs> my way. <laughs> Fantastic. You have an awesome, you have an awesome Thanks, Chris. Cheers. Bye-bye. 
Hey leaders, I hope you enjoyed this episode. By now, you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down the path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.